Actually, I think I knew that beforehand. The importance of compromise, the importance yeah. of working together. I tell people, if you play a little football, and I was a running back, not very good, let me be clear <laughs> about that. You're thinking touchdown, but you want to get four you yards. You want to move the ball down the field. That's, That's right. exactly right. Yeah. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, Mexico City edition. Everybody, I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Professor Chris Sands of the Wilson Center. Hey, Chris. Hola. Hola. Great Bonjour, to see you, Scotty. Buenos dias. Great to see you. <laughs> A North American welcome here on Canusa Street. Indeed. And I couldn't be more excited about our guest today. Uh, I worked for the mayor of Atlanta during the 1996 Centennial Olympics, and I feel a special kindred uh, spirit with our guest because he's such a famous and accomplished mayor. And also, uh, my daughter lives in LA. So uh -huh. yeah. So anyway, Chris, why don't you introduce our honored guest properly? And we'll get right to it. Well, Antonio Villagarosa does almost does not need an introduction uh, in the United States and even in Canada and Mexico because it's 41st mayor of Los Angeles and finished two terms in 2013 as mayor of Los Angeles, uh, eight years, which really reformed the city dramatically. Now, prior to his election as mayor, uh, Mr. Villagarosa served as a member of the Los Angeles City Council, so he's been involved in civic issues for a long time. He was a member of President Obama's Transition Economic Advisory Board, 2012 Chairman of the Democratic National Convention, and President of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. But as an academic nerd, I will also say I'm very pleased to add that he was a fellow at Harvard University and a professor in public policy at the University of Southern California. He's been a senior fellow at the Bipartisan Policy Institute in Washington, and additionally, he served on the McGraw-Hill Global Education Board of Directors. And since I'm always interested in textbooks, I'm glad you, you had a chance to take that on. He is now partner and co-chair at Actum, uh, where he focuses on strategic and crisis communication, consulting to senior executives in a large public and private sector organizations. And earlier this year, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom in California asked him to serve as infrastructure advisor to the state of California, working with local, state, and federal leaders to identify priority projects and maximize access to federal funding across all regions of the state. That is a huge remit. That's a huge uh, remit. And Chris, as the mayor might say, of all the introductions he's ever had, that one was certainly the most recent. <laughs> yeah, it's so, a bit long, I know. But he's an accomplishment. So welcome. There was one other and very proud of. I was Speaker of the California State Assembly in the 90s, and um, Majority Whip, Majority Leader before that, and uh, the legislature gave me a, a perspective that uh, I didn't have prior to being elected, and the mayor's job gave me the hands-on, uh, get your hands dirty uh, yes. kind of experience. But, Which uh, did you like more, just while, we're, just while we're at it? Without being question, yeah? mayor. Mayor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Speaker of the Assembly, they say that um, it's the second most powerful job behind um, governor. But I'll tell you something. There, the thing about being mayor is you're with people all the time. And yeah. you get to see the things you think of, you make into a law, and then implement it. That's right. So being mayor in particular, you know... LA is the second largest city in the country. Uh, if it were a country, as the economy about, uh, think, 18th in the world, wow. the third largest metropolitan economy behind 
at Tokyo and New York, and uh, was proud to, of all my public service. Well, and, and Mr. Mayor, you if you were in Canada, we would call you Your Worship, by the way. That's what they call you in Canada. Um, your we're, Worship. It's true. That's the title. Um, we're here in Mexico City. We're at the North Capitol Forum, so this is a pop-up podcast. And uh, I just want to ask you, what brought you... Um, what do you, what are you looking to um, talk about or accomplish or hear here in Mexico City at this trilateral gathering? Well, first of all, I was asked to speak on diversity and inclusion. I was a little surprised about that. I thought it was going to be more about U.S. Mexico relations. Yeah, or I would say uh, transportation or infrastructure. Canada relations. Yeah, um, and I'm very interested in that. I mentioned that. Uh, I'm very familiar with the Wilson Center Mexican Institute, and uh, I've long been uh, very interested about the U.S.-Mexico-Canada relationship. Um, I've often said when people talk about the border as a, a problem, I see it as an opportunity. Absolutely. I think we all know that uh, the trade between these three countries uh, is among the most active anywhere in the world, and particularly between the United States and Mexico, uh, our number two trading partner. And um, so I don't think there's enough of a focus on uh, the opportunities, the friendship, mm -hmm. the relationships that we have, and particularly right now in this world where I think there's an interest in redirecting the supply chain mm -hmm. to North America. And uh, so I, anything U.S., Mexico, Canada, I'm in. And uh, I'm going to, as I said, talk about diversity and inclusion, but that's why I wanted to come. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I, I want to ask you about something, and I hate to say, go, go to sports. Because when I think Los Angeles, of course, I think of the 1984 Olympics, which when I was growing up, uh, it was the same year the Tigers won the World Series. Uh, it was a great year for me. Um, I was still in high school. 1932 was the first Olympics that Los Angeles held. And when you were mayor, you really tried to champion a return to Los Angeles. And now I think the Olympics are coming in 2028. Not only that, we are also looking to 2026 when North America together is going to host the World Cup. Los Angeles is going to be one of the cities where the games will be played. Can you talk a little bit about, I know we're going to talk about infrastructure and other things, but the way that sports brings us together and drives economic development? Well, you said it. One of my proudest efforts was trying to get the Olympics for 2016. As I understand it, it was the closest um, competition uh, between us and Chicago that the, the U.S. OC has ever had. Um, but I was excited that Chicago, which had never had the Olympics, was able to get it. Thankfully, we're going to get it again in 2028. Yeah. And I'm excited about that. I do remember the 1984 Olympics. I don't remember the 1932. I wasn't <laughs> around. Uh, but I'll tell you, sports has a way of bringing people together, Absolutely. Of, of, of lifting up the spirit of a, a city, a country. And um, I think the fact that we're hosting uh, the World Cup in 2026 and then the um, Olympics in 2028 gives us an opportunity to leverage a lot of things. Uh, address the fact that homelessness is so such a big issue in the city of Los Angeles. And um, I think uh, 
the policymakers ought to be thinking about what do we need to do to really accelerate our efforts in terms of uh, housing people and providing the services they need so that we put our best uh, foot forward uh, in the uh, World Cup and in the, the Olympics. So from my vantage point, it's it lifts the spirit and brings us together. Well, and, and you mentioned housing. I just want to stick with that for a minute, Mr. Mayor, because homelessness uh, has been a problem for a long time. But but post-COVID, I mean, during COVID, um, the shelters in New York City, as an example, and in Washington, D.C., um, were emptied. Uh, and, and so it's it's complex, right? So homelessness got worse, if you will, um, just in recent years. What do you think some of the ingredients are to help address it, um, the, the challenge? What needs to be done between now and, say, hosting these big events in, in Los Angeles? Well, first of all, you know, California and the United States incarcerate more people than anybody, anywhere in the world. And there was, uh, you know, big criminal justice effort uh, to, you know, address the fact that, uh, you know, we're number one in a, in a statistic that we shouldn't be proud of. And so a lot of folks were let out of prison without the skills, without the, uh, you know, the effort to rehabilitate. And many of them became homeless. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, COVID came and exacerbated all of that. The cost, you know, I, when I ran for governor, I talked about an economy that's not working for too many people, the fifth largest economy in the world, California, with the highest effective poverty rate in the United States. Is that right? I didn't yeah, know that. And Los Angeles is one of the epicenters of poverty in the United States. It's, the, I already said, one of the richest cities in the world, um, but also with a great deal of poverty. So uh, the economy, the cost of housing, uh, the drug the drug epidemic, particularly with now with fentanyl yeah. and the like, you know, the mental, the, the, the lack of investment in mental health mm-hmm. and mental health services. Um, I think there hasn't been a, enough of a sense of urgency. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I don't mean to point fingers at anybody, but I'll tell you this. Uh, if I was mayor during this crisis, the one thing you would have seen is somebody treating like an emergency every single day. Yeah. You mentioned that we did a lot. I'll share a few things that we did. Number one American city reducing carbon emissions, number five in the world. Wow. In a city with a 44% graduation rate and one out of three failing schools, increased the graduation rate by 60% and took us from one out of three failing schools to one out of 10. Wow. Built three light rail lines and one busway. Invested in the airport four and a half billion and we hadn't invested since the Olympics in 1984. And we could go on and build more schools than anybody in the United States of America and a 49% drop in violent crime. We were addressing homelessness. We had done, you know, a drop in the bucket, about 2,500 permanent supportive units of, of housing. But that was three times more than they had done before me. Uh, they now have two big pots of money and I, I think there just needs to be an all hands on deck and an approach that sees this as an emergency. Um, and we, bit, we better get on it because uh, the World Cup's just around the corner uh, and so is the Olympics. And I think we want to be able to say that we've worked really hard uh, to clean up our city 
and to provide housing for people uh, who ought to have a right to housing, not just to a privilege of housing, and the services that come with it for the folks who are mentally ill or need uh, drug rehabilitation. We talked about about financing infrastructure, and it's fascinating now because you know Canada doesn't have municipal bonding authority, so cities go to the province or to the federal government and then kind of find infrastructure funding. In the U.S., we've seen the Biden administration really talking about amping up money for infrastructure. Mexico, big challenges too. But as inflation starts pushing interest rates up, you know, you've got that fixed income uh, sort of thing, pension funds and others that want to get a, a guaranteed rate. How do we finance it? And can we rely on P3, a public-private partnership? Or does government have to do a bit more on the public side to help us rebuild? Let me put on my uh, infrastructure hat. Um, put on and, that hat. And, uh, as you said, the official title is infrastructure advisor. Uh, the governor apparently was told not to describe me as the czar, but he did anyways. And I think he was trying uh, to indicate uh, and communicate that uh, I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. And the second thing he said was that um, in the course of the race for governor, the one thing he could never say is that he got more money for his town than I got for mine. <laughs> the third thing, important, and most importantly, um, was he said he wants to break the glass. This is an historic investment. We're going to get up to $50 billion in the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act from the feds and another $47 billion from the state. So we want to leverage this. We want to be disruptive. California is the worst state to build anything in. Hmm. Takes longer, costs more. And what I've said, and the governor supports, you know, if we could fast track red tape and build a football stadium, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, and a basketball arena, the King's Basketball Arena in Sacramento, we ought to be able to do it for high-speed rail. We ought to be able to uh, do it for the crumbling bridges the uh, need for more public transit, the energy and water and broadband pro projects. So that's what I've been tasked with. It's no, it's not just going to be to oversee uh, the expenditure of a hundred billion dollars, but really thinking out of the box. You mentioned public-private partnerships. Yeah. You go around the world. Virtually every country builds not just from the government, but with the private sector. Sure. And we're going to be looking at uh, opportunities for public-private partnerships, design-build, construction management, trying to keep the cost down, accelerate the time to build. Um, we're looking at that, not just in transportation, but across the board. Housing and schools ought to be part of infrastructure, but it wasn't in this bill. But as an example... If you have a light rail line that connects to economic centers, uh, one of which is an underserved community, putting a bus and so taking cars off the road, cleaning up the air, mm -hmm. that's a project with multiple benefits. That's right. Some of which are externalities that we don't always account for. Exactly. Sure. So we're looking at all of that. 
equity and inclusion. You know, historically, when you build a freeway, uh, you build them in the poor communities. So there are five freeways on the east side of Los Angeles, three in the south side. Um, and the one that was supposed to go on Santa Monica Boulevard through Beverly Hills never got built. Yeah. Why? Because affluent people know how to push back and say no. So we're, we're going to uh, make sure that when we make these investments, that we're making them in a way that is fair, uh, that is inclusive, leaving no community behind, but also focusing on apprenticeship programs, workforce training. We don't have enough people to build all of this stuff. Well, that's exactly right. So we're going to focus on it. Well, and I want to ask you one quick follow-up, and that is, we're, we're as we record this in Mexico City, we just saw the uh, Senator Joe Manchin in Congress was unable to get fast-track permitting for uh, energy infrastructure. And we saw with the Keystone Pipeline, a similar kind of thing where, where com- the company was trying to build this pipeline. How do we fix a system which, as democracies, we want to hear from local residents, we want to hear from the activists, we want to hear from people who are saying, Let, let's take a thorough examination of what we're building here, while at the same time getting things done. Like, the, it, we can't stall things forever and never build stuff. How do we reconcile that democracy versus the need to move forward. You know what I'd like to say? If climate change is the biggest challenge and threat to humankind, why don't we have a sense of urgency? Why aren't we doing everything we can to accelerate these projects? Now, the difference between what uh, Senator Manchin wanted to do and what I want to do, there's a big chasm. I think his would be for all projects, including fossil fuels and the like. Mm-hmm. Mine would be just the ones in the Infrastructure uh, Investment Jobs Act, uh, which are all clean sure. energy, you know, uh, kind of uh, projects and, and and the like. But from my vantage point, you hit it right on the head. We ought to want to accelerate this one. The criticism always is, when I did three light rail lines and one bus win, and as I said, one of the reasons why uh, the governor appointed me is because of my record building infrastructure. Probably built more infrastructure than, well, not probably. With the possible exception of New York, and I don't even think then when you think of all the things I did, the airport, the port, schools, transportation, nobody built as much as we did. And we were constantly looking at how to accelerate. Well, we didn't have the authority to do that. So this time around, we want to get that authority. Because some of the things the current mayor, he did cut ribbon on three different projects. Airport, uh, the Sixth Street Bridge, big news there, it's a beautiful bridge. And um, one other project, oh, the Crenshaw Line, light rail line all the way to the airport. All of those projects I started. Yeah. But it takes so long. It to takes build forever. Everything. Yeah. And so we want to change that. You know, take it from 12 years to eight. Uh, you know. Or, or two. Eight, or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. or two. But yeah. Being realistic. Tougher, but, yeah. But, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you know, reduce the time that it takes to build these projects so people see their taxpayer money at work and realize, Wow, that was great. And look at all the people working. 
You know, we only have a couple minutes left, and, and I want to I want to pivot a little bit. Uh, you know, I hear your passion uh, for these solving the big issues of the day, and what I want to ask you, you you've you've had and continue to have a, an amazing career in public service, whether it's the legislature, whether it's mayor. Young people today, when they think about what they want to do, um, politics seems like maybe not the most appealing, you know, path. Um, what do you say to the next generation? How do we get really bright, talented people like you, only whose age begins with a two, to get excited and run for office and work for government and engage in public service? What's the What's the secret there, do you think? Well, first of all, you could understand why they're not interested in politics. Our politics is broken. We put party before country. We're so polarized. You know, like so many things, including climate change, uh, we let the perfect get in the way of the good. Um, you know, I'm a very progressive um, person. I've been ahead of so many issues, criminal justice, the environment, women's rights, gays rights. Uh, you know, you can go on and on over the years. But I, I learned once I got to the legislature, particularly, actually, I think I knew that beforehand, the importance of compromise, the yeah. importance of working together. I tell people, if you play a little football, and I was a running back, not very good, let me be clear <laughs> about that. You know, you want to get four yards. You're thinking touchdown, but you want to get four you yards. You want to move the ball down the field. That's, That's right. exactly right. Yeah. And and I, I think there's just, right now, there's there's an ideological rigidity on both sides, uh, particularly on the right, but but on both sides, that I think we that young people just find distasteful. And uh, what I'd say to them, be the change that you're looking for. You know, if, if you don't like the people running for office and the people in office, then go run, vote. You know, uh, it's so important for us to make our voices heard. So, uh, you know, I could really, it's not just the broken politics. You know, I worked in nonprofits mm -hmm. and I bought a home at 25. I didn't have a, you know, I grew up in a home of domestic violence and alcoholism. My mom was a single mama. I didn't have a quarter for my family. Mm -hmm. I. I I saved money and bought a home. When you were 25 years old. When you, you I was home. 25 years old. Wow. And I was making a lot of money. I was working in a nonprofit, the Center for Law and Justice, the East LA Health Task Force. That'd be hard to do in LA today for I, it's I have impossible a, I have today. A it's impossible today. Yeah. So young people are seeing they spend so much on, on a college education. I didn't spend a fraction of that at UCLA. And then they can't buy a home. Yeah. So they're saying, hey, hold it. This, this isn't working for me. Down. And these people aren't working for me. So I say, if they're not working for you, run. Run for run. office. Participate. Amen, brother. I'm with you there. Well, listen, I, I don't. I could talk to you all day. This is incredible. It's a huge honor. Um, Chris, we'll, we'll Honor's give you mine. the last word. We'll give you the last word. Mr. Mayor, we'll give you the last word. How about that? Well, I just, reflecting on your career, and you're not done yet, thinking, I just, the value of raising awareness and being an activist versus accomplishing things and making the world a better place. That's 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 the crux. And you're in the second category. Um, how how do we how do we motivate that? How do we how do we do more? Your testament, it can be done. You know, I've always said that when deduced to its simplest component, 
politics is not just about policy. Uh, it's about people. And, you know, when you love people, and I, you know, it's... it's that might be a problem. It's, an, it's, it's, it's an easy job. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, you don't find it frustrating sometimes. I'm not saying that you don't, you know, have your ups and downs. But uh, for me, what I loved about public service and what I love about it is that you're helping people. I mm-hmm. have a public strategy firm and, um, you know, a great firm, Actum, that I work in. But you know, my colleagues know that, you know, my my heart is in serving. And um, I, uh, I can tell you that uh, when you put people first you, and understand that you, politics isn't just about giving a speech, it's about doing things. And that means you have to compromise. You have to work with people that disagree with you. Uh, and ultimately, you got to do what you say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was happy to do it. That's exactly right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Mayor. What a delight. Great to see you in person here in Mexico City. I hope we get to see you again soon. I will so too. We'll come for the World Cup and stay for the Olympics in Los Angeles. <laughs> That's right. We're never there you go. <laughs> Are you red, white, and blue, or just red and white? Beaver or bald eagle? Ryan Reynolds or JLo? Canusa Street, a masterclass in cross-border relations. This is where Canada and the United States intersect on the policies and issues of our two great nations. But you know that already. That's why you're here. The question is, if you want more of this bilateral bonanza delivered directly to your inbox, and you know you do, how about signing up for Scotty Greenwood's weekly email updates on Canada-U.S. relations? Head to cabc.co to sign up today. And now back to Canusa Street. Chris, what an interesting conversation. I'm a little biased. I like mayors a lot, having worked for the mayor of Atlanta. Uh, what was your reaction to our conversation? It reminded me so much of talking to Ed Rendell, who was also a mayor and governor, about the issues of infrastructure, the issues of the politics of getting things done. I think that's one of the reasons mayors can be so refreshing at a time when we can't seem to get things done in other parts of our society. Mayors really are can-do people. And in some ways less partisan than some of what we see in Washington. So it was really inspiring. Yeah, and this particular former mayor has a lot more public service left in him, I heard. I mean, he really seems pretty passionate about, not pretty passionate, passionate about some vexing issues, not just infrastructure, but also um, homelessness, things like that. I loved what he said about these big sporting events that, you know, get all the headlines, the fact that the Olympics are coming back to L.A., the fact that we have the World Cup uh, coming in 2026, and his vision of using that as a way of addressing homelessness, just that was amazing. And I think it's a really, really good way, not just to have a good time with sports, not just to promote the community, but to do something great for the people who live there all the time. Right. And not an easy challenge. But but yes, using the the fact that the eyes of the world are coming on you to try to focus attention. We always need something to focus attention, right? You've got to create urgency. And if it takes a sporting event to do it, then so be it. Well, I always house clean much more when my mom's coming over. So I know how that goes. All right. Well, it's always good to see you, my friend. And it was great to have the mayor of L.A., the 41st mayor of Los Angeles with us. Absolutely. All right. See you next time. time. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show 
and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.